<laughs> I don't know about you, but I get chills thinking about it, you know. <laughs> Just to look upon his face, you know. And it helps us deal with the difficulties of today, doesn't it? When we know what we have to look forward to. You know, there's a saying, there's a God we want, and there's a God who is. They're not the same God. The turning point in someone's life is when they quit seeking the God they want and start seeking the God who is. A lot of difference in those. Uh, as a chaplain, you know, I've come across people several times at the hospital, and I've been again to question them about their relationship with the God. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, I used to believe in God, but I don't anymore. And I said, well, what happened? And they said, tell me, you know, they either lost a loved one or God didn't intervene and, you know, save someone from tragedy. And they would give me some kind of story, you know, of something that happened in their life and they turned away from God. Well, you know, 1 John 3 and 19 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, no doubt they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. So they went out, they went out because they weren't of him. See, there is a saving faith. There are those that know God, and there are those that know of God. We're those that know God. Those people that went out from him, they knew of God. But he was not their Savior. And so it's like, you know, the story where Jesus tells about planting the seed. You know, some by the wayside, some among the stones, some among the thorns. But which one bore the fruit? The one that's planted on the good ground. And that's a heart that's receptive, a heart that is humble, that receives what they hear as the truth, and they believe in God, and they follow God. You know, Isaiah 55 uh, and 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heaven high above the earth, so are my ways and your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. And so the unbeliever you know, they can't even begin to think like God thinks. And they can't even know what his ways are. The only way that we can know the ways of God and the thoughts of God is to be a believer. And then as we accept him as our Savior, what happened? He transforms us into a spiritual person. And because we're spiritual, now we begin to know the ways of God. And we begin to know the thoughts of God because he says we have what? The mind of Christ. So you can't know the ways of God and the thoughts of God until you become a believer. And then you do, because he's living in you. If you turn to the book of John, and chapter 6, we'll see some of the points that we're talking about. And let's look at uh, verse 53, 6 and 53 of the Gospel of John. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in a Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up when he was before, where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, or makes alive. The flesh profit nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are what? They are spirit, 
and they are life. You see, these things that he was speaking of, we understand very well. What do we do when we take communion? We're remembering what? That he gave his body on that cross for us. And we remember the blood is what anoints, that atones for our sins. And so we remember every time we take communion, the very things that he was saying here that they did not understand, we understand perfectly well because what does it say in remembrance of me right there on the front of the communion table? And that's what we think about. And so for them, thinking through the flesh, through the natural man, what is he talking about? When he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they can't not comprehend what he's talking about. But we that know him understand these things. So they're spirit and they are life. The world does not understand the things that we understand because they're not given to them to understand. They're given to the church that believes to the body of Christ. And then look at verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. See, that's the ones he's talking to here. They don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back. Why? They believed not what he was saying. They did not understand what he was saying. Then said Jesus, Unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> and we say that this morning, don't we? Is there anybody else we can turn to? No, only Jesus Christ. To whom shall we go, Father? There is no one else. Peter was hit the head right on with the hammer, didn't he? Hit the nail right on the head. Peter always did that, didn't he? He was always right there, and he was always thinking, what was Jesus really talking about here? I just love Peter. That's what I want to see when I get to heaven after I see Jesus. <laughs> uh, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when you see people that had followed him and seen all of these miracles, seen everything that he did, and still they turned and walked away. You know, that is deception. People that are deceived. You know, a person is deceived by lies so that they don't partake of the truth. When the lies are revealed for what they are, then people will partake of the truth. 2 Timothy 3 and 5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. If you would, Matthew 7, to further prove this point, Matthew 7. And we look at verse 15. Seven and fifteen. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do man gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruit ye shall know them. Some people say you shouldn't judge people. Bible says you know them by their fruit whether they're bearing good fruit or bad fruit. And so we can see by the fruit that a person bearing what type they are. I know the fruit that I bore before I was saved was bad fruit. Wouldn't be hard to see what tree I was until I got saved. 
and then that all did a 180, and good fruit began to come forth. Not everyone, verse 21, that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that what? Doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And here's one of the most shaking scripture in all of the Bible. Not every, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And cast out devils in thy name and done many works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Isn't that something? They were casting out demons. They were doing good works, but they were doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the power was, the name. But he said, I never knew you. That'll be the harshest words that any person will ever here in their whole life. Never knew them. That's scary, isn't it? That someone was being deceived into thinking that they were okay, but they were not. Because they knew of him, but they did not know him. Totally different to know him as our Savior. Know that our name is written in the book of life. Knowing that when we breathe that last breath, Absent from the body, present with the Lord. What kind of peace does that bring to us? Just knowing if somebody doesn't walk out of this church today, they're a child of the king. Their body might be laying here. My body might be laying here, but I'm not there. I'm gone. You know? And if one of you were not to leave here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, your body may be sitting there in that pew, but you're gone. You're with him in glory, just like we were singing. But that person that has not, Surrender to him. What did Jesus say? You must be born again, born of the Spirit. That person is assured. John 10 and 28, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We can be assured that we know we can have eternal security. And that's important, isn't it? That we know that we know that we know that we're a child of the King and that we're one of his sheep. Verse 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The difference in these two, one fell and one did not fall. The house is our life. And when the house is built on a firm foundation that it will stand through the storm, Jesus said, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 3 and 11. That's the foundation. That's the rock he's talking about right here. The house is our life. The sand is the world. People that build their lives on the things of this world, their own ability, their own strength, other people's abilities and strength, on the things that they have material-wise, what they have in the bank, guess what? One day they're going to fail. Every one of them that they've built them on. But those that have built their life on Jesus Christ. The storms are going to come, aren't they? Every one of us have our storms. We can tell you of storms, what, the last week, the last two weeks, the last month. We all have storms in our life. And guess what? We're still here because we're founded on the rock. And yes, they sway us sometimes. They blow us around. But we still have our feet firmly planted on that rock. And we're still going to weather the storms no matter what they are. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that one is Jesus Christ. You know, people may not read the Bible. They may not know the truths of the Bible. But you know one thing that they cannot deny? When they see a person that is a lost sinner living a life of sin, and they see that person get saved, and they see them turn and begin to follow Jesus Christ, and their fruit is good fruit now where it was bad. Nobody can deny that. Something happened in that person's life 
to change them from what they were to what they are now. And we know about that. No, we know what happened inside of us. We know it was Jesus Christ that did it. Some of you have heard of Charles Colson. He was an attorney and a special counsel to President Nixon, who was a Watergate, Watergate felon, was saved in prison, and when he got out, started prison fellowship. He stated that I found myself increasingly drawn to the idea that God had put me in jail for a purpose and that I should do something for those I left behind. For more than 35 years, Charles Colson had a tremendous ministry reaching into prisons with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder today how many thousands of men and women were saved because of this prison fellowship. And this one man who started it, instead of being a deceiver, which he was when he was involved in the Watergate, he became a believer and helped others who were deceived to believe. That's how this man's life was changed. He couldn't just walk away from prison when he was let out, but he had to think about those he left behind. And he did something to reach those people that were still in jail in order that they might be saved. And isn't that, isn't that the same thing with us? You know, we were deceived, but we became a believer. And then we helped others who were deceived believe. And so that's part of what we do as children of God, isn't it? Just like Charles Colson did. He did it on a much bigger scale than we do, but still we're doing the same thing. Deception is one of the strongest forces the evil one has, is to deceive someone into believing the lie when the truth and the power of God is revealed right before their eyes. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 says, In whom the God of this world, little g, had blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ should be re revealed into their hearts. And so the God of this world, little g, is deceiving those today. He is blinding them. I was in darkness. You were in darkness until what? The light shone in. And then the darkness left as the light came in. You know, darkness cannot stay where there's light. I don't care if it's a, if, if you're in the darkest place that there is. You can't see any light whatsoever. You can have just one little match. And you know what? It lights up the room. All the darkness in there. Same thing happens. One truth comes into our life. And where does the darkness go? Where do the lies, the falseness go? They leave because the truth has come in. And what did Jesus say? I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And so he is truth. He is the light. He's the light of the world. And we're the little lights, right? So God gives us something. Devices of protection that protects us against the devil, the demon, and the influence, the evil influence of this world. He gives us a conscience. Even as a child, we can remember that conscience working, can't we? When mom or daddy tell us not to do something, and we did it anyway. Our conscience was saying, you better do what mama said, you better do what daddy said, right? It was the conscience that was working. So he gives us that sense of wrong that we might not follow. This feels bad. Something's wrong with this feeling I have inside of me that's coming from your conscience. And so that we won't act on something that will harm us or someone else or society. So someone who can render that conscience ineffective by continually ignoring it through repeated exposure to evil, a person's sense of right and wrong can become numb to the point that a person can no longer easily distinguish between good and evil. And a good example is that you take a man who works hard every day. He, he's got a job where he does hard labor, and he's got calluses everywhere. His whole hand is just calluses. Well, if you were to touch something that was hot, you'd immediately draw back. If he were to touch it with all those calluses, he wouldn't even feel it for a minute. And so what's it doing? It's damaging his hand, and he doesn't even know it. Like people with leprosy, that's the biggest problem with leprosy is that they can't feel when they harm themselves. 
And so the same way, someone can actually harden their conscience by repeatedly doing a sin that they know is wrong, but they continue to do it. And what happens? Their conscience begins to be seared like a hot iron. If you look at Second Timothy, or First Timothy, chapter 4, he tells about a seared conscience. First Timothy 4 and 1 and 2. I know I'm asking you to go through a lot of scripture today, but uh, I know you probably know your Bible very well, so it's not hard for you. First Timothy 4, 1. I'll give you a minute to get there. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. The second thing that God gives us is the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Which is much like the conscience, but is far more sensitive and powerful. That not only warns of wrongdoing, but actually gives us the ability to resist those things that are evil. And again, Second Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians 4 and 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is not of us, but is of God. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings that power in that we can now resist those things that once we were not able to. I know before I got saved, there was things that I was doing that I tried to stop. And you know what? I didn't have the power to stop them. As much as I wanted to, and I knew they would cause me harm, I still couldn't stop them. But when I got saved, the power of the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to overcome every one of those things that I was doing that I knew was wrong. But now the power came in. So the Holy Spirit is much more powerful than the conscience. But they're both given of God. We also have the Word of God. It is a guide in our life that will teach us how to live that will be blessed by God when we adhere to the truth contained therein. Psalms 119, 104, and 105. Through thy precepts I get understanding, and I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so God has given us a guide to guide us through this light. It's like when you're out in the woods at night and you can't see a thing. You don't know whether there's a hole in front of you or there's vines across you get that little flashlight out and you shine it and there's you can see the path. And it's the same way. God has given us a GPS. If we will adhere to it, his word, it will guide us through this life. But I think I've told you this before, but I had a lady I was dealing with that was uh, really having some real problems. And uh, she came to the front one, one morning and accepted the Lord as her Savior and I gave her a Bible. And uh, then she came for several times, and then I didn't see her. Uh, something's wrong. Well, I got a call two or three weeks later, and she told me that she had fallen back into sin. And I said, let me ask you something. That Bible I gave you, when's the last time you opened that Bible? And it got dead silence on the other end. And I knew then what was wrong. She had not been meditating on the Word of God. The guide, the GPS that she needed, she had ignored it and had fallen right back in to what she had done before. I said, that Bible is vital for you to maintain a steady walk with Jesus Christ. Meditate. God is feeding you so that you'll be able to resist what you need to resist, receive what you need to receive, and have the strength to be able to overcome. And she agreed with me. So for all of us, it's the same way. We need a steady diet of the Word of God. That's one of the things that God has given us. Aren't we fortunate in our generation to have a Bible? You know, there are a lot of people that don't have Bibles that would love to have a Bible in some countries. They can't get them.
So we're very fortunate to be able to have them. But he also has given us the gift of discernment, which is in 1 Corinthians 12 and 10. And what does the gift of discernment do? It warns us of deception from the devil, from his demons, and also from people who would try to deceive us. That discernment is something that every one of us needs. Uh, it's like, what do they call that, that women have a sixth sense? Something like that. I think there's another word for it. I can't think of it right now. But you know, it's a wise man that will listen to their wife because God has given them a special protection, a sixth sense, I call it, that they are warned about certain people. And if they acknowledge that, then they're able to keep themselves safe. But if they just ignore it, then they get into trouble sometimes. Well, the same thing is given to us. It's a discernment of spirit that God has given to those that believe in him to warn us, be leery, be watchful, don't be influenced by these people. Know what the word of God says that you'll know how to resist them. But also he's given us preachers who are designed, their preaching is designed to break through the deception of the lies, the falseness, and the error through the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And what do people do when they hear the preaching of the Word of God? They either defiantly resist it or they humbly, submissively receive it, one or the other, when they hear the preaching. And it should always be backed by the Word of God. But God is the one who designed preaching, not man. It is of God. Two great powers that are in the world today. One is the devil, one is God. And guess what? Someone is either under the influence of the devil or they're under the influence of God. One or the other is taking place. When they're under the influence of the devil, then he brings corruption, destruction, and death into their life. But when we're under the rule of God, he empowers us that we have freedom from those things that once had the control over us. And I well know that, that I now know that the Holy Spirit is the one that is in control of my life and not the devil and not the lies of the devil. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, John 3.17. We hear John 3.16 all the time, but very rarely... 3 and 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So in the same way, are we here in this world to condemn? No, we're not. We're here to make a difference. We're here to minister to a lost world. And just as John the Baptist, what was he always saying? Make a straight path for the Lord. A voice crying out in the wilderness Make straight paths unto the Lord. And so that's exactly what we're to be doing, is make a straight path for those to see who the Lord is and that through our testimony, through our life, that others, others might see the love of Christ in us. Who in your life before you got saved was instrumental in showing the love of Jesus Christ? I'm sure there's some people stand out. I'm sure there's someone at least that you think about that what they were saying, the life that they were living, living impressed you that something's different about this person. I know it certainly was true of me. There were certain people that God had at the crossroads in my life that I realized there's something different about them. You know, what is it? I would like to have what they have. Isn't that what people should say about us? You know, I'd like to have what they have because they're different. They're filled with something that I don't have. They've got some love that I don't know about. They're humble and they're compassionate. They're caring. See, these are traits of Christ, right? And they should also be traits that we have. And so we're here not to condemn the world. We're, our battle is not flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where the people are being deceived by these powers. And if we cannot show them the love of Christ, how are they going to see it? God is designed for us to be here, our feet, our hands, our mouth, to be his ambassador here on this earth. 
There are many reasons for the conditions of the world today, but only one solution, and that is Christ is the answer. There are many things that are adding to the problems in the world today. There, we only have one life to live. It will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. You know, all the things that we're so busy doing sometimes, one day they won't even matter unless we're doing them in the name of Christ. Then they will matter. What does he say to lay up your treasures? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. What will happen to them is that they're going to be passing away. They're going to be corrupted. But if you lay up for your treasures in heaven, they will not pass away. And so that's where our treasures should be laid up, is in heaven. We should have a bank account in heaven where we're steadily adding to that bank account in heaven by the good works that we're doing and making a difference. Matthew 5 and 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 5 and 15 says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. And so as Jesus is the light of the world, we are a light of the world. And as the moon reflects the rays of the sun, the S-U-N, we are to reflect the rays of the sun, S-O-N, of God. When Israel killed the prophets, when they should have acknowledged the truths they spoke, when the apostles were sent with the gospel, they did the same to them, didn't they? They killed the apostles. And then when Jesus came, he came into his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. Israel should have been the one to spread the light to the world. But we know it was because of their unbelief is why Jesus turned his back on them for a time. He will turn that light back on them during the tribulation time in order that they might be saved. But at this moment, they have been spiritually blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We are the Gentiles. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones that now he has turned the light on in order that we might be a light to the rest of the world. In Romans chapter 9, in verse 30, What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is faith, which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling block. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In chapter 11, in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of of the Gentiles is come, come in. In verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now these first three verses in chapter 12 of Romans, you've heard me read these many times, because here we see what God has designed for each one of us who believe in him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed 
by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what God has outlined for each one of you and me, that these bodies now do not even belong to us, that they are a living sacrifice. As Paul said, a living epistle. And that we are no longer conformed to the ways of this world, but we have been transformed. And how are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind, what? Through the Word of God, right? And so that's how we know how that we are to live in this world. And then uh, Romans 6, in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye, what? Ye were, <laughs> past tense, right? Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have what? Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You know, when I think about how I was bound up in sin, and then I think about when Jesus freed me from those sins, the victory that you feel in your heart when you know that you're no longer under the control of sin. You're no longer under the control of the devil, but you're free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. John 8 and 36, you'll be free indeed. And that's a feeling that no one knows but the child of God who has been set free from their sins. And they have what? Peace in their heart because they know they're no longer bound by those things that once held them captive. Being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And of course, we all know Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So those that are bound in sin, he speaks about those, and we see it all around us every day in Second Timothy chapter 3. And I know it's a lot of uh, Bible reading this morning, but I felt like it was important in order to really get the point across the difference in the child of God and the one who is following the ways of the world. And he describes perfectly here in Second Timothy chapter 3 of those that are the natural man or the natural woman and the pursuits that they have. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. I'll give you a moment. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. What does it mean to blaspheme? It's a dis disrespect shown to God or to something holy or to something said or done that shows disrespect. And don't we see a lot of that toward Christians today, toward the Bible? We see it all the time. We hear it all the time. So blaspheme has become something that now we realize we see on every corner. Disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. How many people today are unthankful? You know, for what they have, for what God has given them. 
and yet people just go on just like it's normal. But God has done so much for us, and there's so much to be thankful for. You know, that we're just able to be here this morning and, and sit here and be able to hear what's being said, to be able to see with our eyes. These are all things that are important to us. To be thankful instead of unthankful, to be holy instead of unholy, without natural affection. Now, we see more and more of that today, don't we? Natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, and that's those that have no self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. You know, uh, Isaiah 5 says that they're called good, evil, and evil, good, and take away the righteousness of the righteous. Is that not what he's talking about here? Is that they're despisers of those that are good? You know, we that stand for those things that are holy and righteous and pure, people look down on us for that. And they think immorality is something that is open to everybody now. Just do what you want to do. Whatever feels good, just do it. You know, and we that hold to the Word of God that we're to be a holy people set apart, they look at us like you're unusual, but not according to the Word of God. We're normal to God because we live a holy life. Traitors, verse 4, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This place ought to be packed this morning. Every church ought to be packed. If they're truly lovers of God, they'd want to be in the house of God. You know what I'm saying? Because it is a commandment of God. He says, fail not to assemble yourself, as is the matter of some. So we see the natural man here in chapter 3. And you see chapter 2 and verse 26 says, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him what at his will that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil that was me I was captured in the snare of the devil and some of you were too and you couldn't get loose on your own but we're able to recover ourselves out of the snare of the devil because of the one who set us free so Timothy hits it right where it is, doesn't it? He shows us where we're living today, the times that we're living, but he also shows us that we are to be adamant in our faith, and we're not to be influenced by the world. See, the church is to influence the world, but sad to say, a lot of churches today are being influenced by the world instead of by God. And that's why a lot of times we don't see the Holy Spirit working in some churches is because they don't preach and teach the whole Word of God. But it's the whole Word of God. And we call sin what it is. It is lawlessness against God. Every sin is a sin against God Almighty. However small it may, little it may seem, it's still a sin against God. And we must always remember that any sin we commit is against the Holy God. And that we're to recognize that and realize that we cannot condone those things that now our government and many of the people in this world today are condoning. But we are to condemn those things that God condemns and only condone those things that God condones and that alone. And that's what separates the church from the world is the church is standing upon the Word of God and that alone and nothing else. And that's why we cannot back down from what we believe because we know that what we believe is truth. When Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, we know he, there is only one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. His Word, <coughs> He is the Word of God, and the Word of God is Jesus Christ. Truth, they're all the same. A wise old saint once said, 
The Bible contains about eight big ideas that keep repeating themselves over and over. These eight points. There is a God. And that's throughout the Bible, isn't it? There is a God. He is glorious and good. We are rebels who resist God and run from him. That's exactly what I was doing before I was saved. I was a rebel. I was like Jonah, running from God. But you know what? Everywhere Jonah went, who did he see? Who did he run into? God. He couldn't run away from it. And you know what? I couldn't either. See, I was raised in church. I was taught by a wonderful Sunday school teacher. I knew the Word of God. But then when I left, went into the military, got off into the world, what happened? I was this rebel. We are rebels who resist God and run from Him. I was just like Jonah running. But everywhere I went, I kept running into God. Until in 1986, I quit running from Him. <laughs> I no longer am a rebel. <laughs> But I'm a son of Jesus Christ. And you know what I mean, don't you? So these truths this man spoke about. God sent his son, Jesus, to seek and to save us. Thank God he did. Thank God. Aren't you thankful today that God sent his son, Jesus, to save those that are lost? Hmm. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? To know we're not lost anymore. We're not blind to the things of God. We see. Not with these eyes. We see with spiritual eyes. We hear. Not with these ears. But spiritual ears. What God is saying to us this morning. We truly live only by faith. What is Second Corinthians 5 and 7? We walk by faith and not by sight. See before we walk by sight and not by faith. But when we got saved, we walked by faith and not by sight. Sometimes it's kind of hard to remember, isn't it? We kind of want to get off and walking by sight again, and then something jogs our memory and says, what am I doing? I need to walk by faith. That's key to it. There is more to life than just this life. God designed us to live in a community. And that again, back to fail not to assemble yourselves, as is the manner of some. And that's Hebrew 10 and 25. This, like I said a while ago, this place ought to be packed. There ought to be cheers in the back. You know, I remember one time we had a, a fellowship at our church, and there were so many people there, the kids were sitting down on the front, in the floor and on the front. Wouldn't you love to see that again? You know, packed and kids didn't have anywhere to sit. They're sitting down there on the floor listening. You know, Lord, bring that back to us, Lord. Bring that back where people will be hungry for God. Love to come to God's house. Not say, oh, well, it's Sunday morning. Guess I'll go to church. No. Can't wait, you know. I mean, you're ready to go an hour before, you know. Can't wait to get to church. I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to worship God. I'm ready to hear what the preacher has to say. You know, I want to be in church, you know. When I got saved, nobody had to tell me to go to church. When the doors opened, I was there. Nobody had to say, hey, Brother Joe, are you coming to church tonight? No, they didn't have to do that. I was going to be there unless something was bad wrong. And that's the way it ought to be with us. We love to be in church, you know. It's where we assemble with our loved ones. You're my loved one. You're my brother and sisters in the Lord. You know, I want to be with y'all. I think about y'all during the week, you know. Pray for y'all. You know, that's the way it ought to be. We want to be in fellowship. We want to be in communion with one another. This guy was really hitting on all eight here. The last one is because God is in charge, all will be well. I'm glad he finished with that note, aren't you? Because God is in charge, we will all be well. I'm going to read something to you, and you've all heard it, but I'm just going to ask you to listen to it this morning. And I could quote it, and you could quote it, 
But you know, sometimes I just like to read it out of God's Word, even though I've got it memorized. There's something about reading it out of God's Word, isn't it? You know? That's why I know a lot of people use phones today, you know, if that's what they want to do. But I'm going to tell you what, till the day I die, or the day I can't read anymore, I'm going to use God's Word, you know? Yeah, i got a phone. I can pull the Bible up on it. And sometimes I do if I'm out about, you know, and I'm trying to memorize a scripture or something. I can't remember. I'll get my phone and pull it up. But as long when I'm sitting in church or whatever, I want God's Word. There's just something about His Word. I mean, I'm privileged to be able to have it. I'm privileged to be able to read it, you know, to be able to think, the knowledge to know. But here's what He said, and you all know it. But I just want to leave with this. Romans 8 and 28. And we know. We can stop right there. <laughs> and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Did you know you are called? Did you know I'm called? We're called. We're called of God. You may not be a preacher, or you might be, but you are called to do something. God has something for you to do. And we know, we know. Verse 26, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. First, he is the one that was resurrected. We'll be the second ones that will be resurrected. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. We've yet to be glorified, but we are the other. We will be glorified one day. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Just remember that. That those people that are against you, they're not going to win. That you're going to win, and I'm going to win. In the end. Sometimes it feels like we may be defeated, but we're not. Because we're on the winning side. And we need to remember that constantly. You know, if God be for you, who can be against you? And they will be against you, but they will not win. That God is going to win out in the end, and we're going to win out in the end. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with all also freely give all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who is standing in for you right now? Who's standing in for me right now? As the devil's accusing you and me, who's standing in for us? Jesus Christ. He's our protector. He's our defender. You know what? When you got him as your defender... Guess what? You're okay. <laughs> Can you have a better one? No. He's the best lawyer there is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? So many people today are afraid of these things because of the economy. They're afraid. But he said, Are we to be afraid of famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? No. Is it written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's something we should read every day, you know. <laughs> it's so important to know who our defender is. To know, know that no matter what comes against us, we're more than conquerors. And that he's going to take care of us. No matter what we're lacking, he is well able to provide. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for these that have come this morning. Lord, we just look to you this morning and think back to when you were on the cross. Has anybody ever questioned the love that you have for us? All they have to do is look at the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There is no greater love, Lord, than what you did when you gave your life for our life. He made him to be sin for us that we might be made righteous. Lord, when we think about what you did when you were on the cross, when you looked down and you saw those who had persecuted you, you could have called fire down from heaven to destroy every one of them. But instead, you said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What an attribute of love is forgiveness. Lord, you demonstrated love to its greatest degree right there on the cross for us. If we ever have a question, Lord, about how we are to live our life, all we have to do is look at you and your attributes. Father, I knew not love until I was saved and you gave me the Holy Spirit and he brought with him love. First fruit of the Holy Spirit. I didn't comprehend that love at first. All I knew is I felt different in my heart. I didn't feel that hatred and that vengeance, that unforgiveness and that malice that was there. It was gone, and in its place was love. How could I comprehend? But I knew something was different. Because you had given me an agape love, that I could love the unlovable, the unworthy, and the unresponsive, as you loved me for so many years, and I never responded. And yet the day came, Lord, when I couldn't resist you any longer. Because like Peter said, to whom shall I go? You only have eternal life. And that day, Lord, is when you changed me forever. And Lord, these know exactly what I'm talking about that are before you today. They know that type of love, Father. They know the change that you have made in their life. And I pray today, Lord, that any of us in here, if there's anything in our heart that shouldn't be there this morning, Lord, is there unforgiveness? Is there malice? Is someone hoarding something that they shouldn't be holding on to that should have forgiven them a long time ago? But this morning, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is reminding them that there's something in their heart that shouldn't be there. It should be complete love, purity, a pure heart without sin. Is there a sin that someone's been doing here that they know that they should never do it again? Lord, any stronghold this morning, I pray, will be removed by the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ that it never come back and haunt them again. Fill us to overflowing this morning, Lord, with your spirit. Thank you for the spirit that's in this place this morning, Lord. I know the time has run over a little, but Lord, we just can't cut the Holy Spirit off when he's working. We have to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. And whatever you're doing in here today, Lord, I just pray your spirit will nurture, will love, but also convict, Lord. And Lord, remind us this morning that we're your sheep and you're our shepherd. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thank you, Lord. It's a shadow of death for us. It's not the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. And when our time comes, we'll go through that shadow of death. So touch each one of us in a special way this morning, Lord. Draw each one of us closer to you, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be a light in this world to those that are lost. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. 
May we remember that, Lord. Those people's paths that we're crossing, we're to be ministers to them and not condemn them because they're walking in darkness and we're the light that you have sent to show them the real light, the true light, you, Lord Jesus. We praise you this morning. Thank you for this time together. And Lord, we love you so much. Be with this congregation, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you'd send them a pastor that would love them, Father, and serve them, Lord, and be sent by you. Thank you for their faithfulness, Lord Jesus. They continue to worship you and love you and serve you, Lord. Bless them, Lord, as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.